Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the everlasting God. Isaiah said, even young people will grow tired and weary. But those who hope in the Lord will renew our strength. We will rise up with wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint because you are the everlasting God and underneath us are the everlasting arms. So we praise you and worship you, Lord. And we pray that whatever you want to do in our lives today, that you will do. And our answer to you is yes, with gratitude in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you and be with you today. We uh, made a mad dash trip. Melanie and I drove up to Arkansas. I left on Friday morning, came back yesterday morning, got back yesterday afternoon. That is a long way up there. And I was I was just thinking about how when I get there, even when I cross the line, it feels like Arkansas is a different place with the, the hills and the, the streams and the, and the lakes and all that. It's just a very beautiful state. And it occurred to me this week, at least I read, that every state is best in the nation at something. And I, I don't know what Arkansas is best at, but it occurred to me they might be best at, at um, helping people become ministers because they've been very good to us, Joel, uh, Winters and his wife Rebecca and then Larry Heslip and Amy and uh, and Carlos and Shannon Ictor. Uh, Arkansas has been very, very good to us. And I was reading this week that in the state of Delaware, who knew, maybe it's not a huge surprise to you, they have the most PhD uh, scientists per capita in any state in the, in the state of Delaware. It turns out Indiana produces the most limestone, south central Indiana, Iowa produces the most corn. That's probably not a, a huge surprise to us. Um, Minnesota has the largest mall and I've been there. And, um, you know, it was kind of underwhelming because uh, it's just like any other mall you've been to. It's just like five, five times the size of all the other malls you've ever been to. Uh, Washington has the highest percentage of non-religious people. If you ever been to Washington State, I have a lot of relatives up there. Some of them are non uh, religious people. Texas is the very best at telling other people what we are the very best at. We're, we're the best at that. And uh, it's a gift, you know. And would, would you um, hazard a guess, somebody nailed it last night. What is the most generous state of all the 50 states per capita? That is based on the amount of income they have and the amount they give. What is number one? Anybody know? Anybody? I'm not hearing it. I'm not, it's a lot of syllables. Mississippi. Who said Mississippi? Mississippi. And I thought about that and I thought that mu we must have a lot of Mississippians at Tallywood. I remember the first couple of weeks I got here, I'd meet people and say, where are you from? Mississippi, 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 Mississippi. And, um, you know, before I came here, I was in Austin. Uh, this is interesting for somebody in Austin to say this. And he said, oh, I've heard about Tallywood. This is before I ever came over here. And he said, I heard it's a big, rich, liberal church. I was like, really? Because when I think liberal, I think um, bad theology, reject the miracles, uh, reject the divinity of Christ. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I don't have any interest in being part of a liberal uh, church. But I looked under the definitions of liberal this week. Did you know liberal, another synonym for liberal is generous. And in that sense, I found Tallowood to be very liberal and generous. And here's what I mean by that. This week, we received the news that the $35 million of buildings we've done over the last eight or nine years paid in full this week through the generosity of God's people 
done. I, I, yes, absolutely. My first thoughts were to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Because I remember there was a time when we had eight digits of debt. We were over 10 million. We were waiting for pledges to come in. We were like at 14 million at one point and in eight or nine years, all gone. And I just kind of stand amazed at that. And I give glory to God. But here's what I know about our great God. He works through people. And I am so grateful for the generosity of this congregation. And that caused me to think, why do people give? And what happens when people are generous? And I just want to show you a story from the New Testament. I think there are lots of Old Testament teachings about giving and they're helpful to us. But I think the primary fundamental teachings for us about giving really need to come from the New Testament. So let me show you a picture, just a snapshot in the life of the church uh, in Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter four, verses 32 to 37. Uh, Somebody, uh, uh, Grace, I think it was Jennifer said uh, to me this week, so your Facebook picture is way outdated. We need a new picture of your family. So we updated that this week. I thought the six-year-old one, I looked a lot better, but who knows? But this is what I would say. In the book of Acts, you have snapshots of the family of God at work. So in Acts 2, 42 to 47, Acts 4, uh, we'll see in 32 to 37, also in Acts chapter 6, also in Acts chapter 11. There are pictures of the body of Christ. And this is a very interesting picture. Would you stand with me? Uh, Contagious generosity, part of a series called A Life-Giving Church. And we find in God's word, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. For example, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. So how do you create a culture of generosity, an atmosphere in which giving is not the exception, but the norm. We see that just a glimpse in Acts chapter two. There's a picture, the first picture of the church. It's right after 3000 people from all over the globe have been saved there in Jerusalem and uh, they have been filled with the spirit of God at Pentecost and they come together and it says they shared what they had with each other. Then Acts chapter four shows us that that had developed to the place that nobody ever claimed their own possessions, but they gave. And when I looked at that this week, I thought, why? Why did they give so generously to each other? Because you and I know, I think we know that it's sort of human nature, if we ever get anything, to sort of try to control it and conserve it and keep it for ourselves. So why did they give? And I think the answer is because they knew how much they had been given in Christ. And they were so grateful for that. And the result was the apostles 
not having to worry about financial things, had great freedom to proclaim the resurrection. And then grace fell like so much snow in Colorado on the people of God. Grace just kept piling up. And the more grace they received, the more grateful they were. And the more grateful they were to God, the more grace God gave. And it was just this incredible, you've heard of vicious cycles and downward spirals. No, this was a victorious cycle and an upward spiral. As God gave, they gave thanks and God gave some more because it turns out God never runs out of things to give to his people. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. So when I describe Tallowood to people, because from time to time, uh, when I travel, people say to me, so what's Tallowood like? And, and you know, if you go to a preacher conference and hear a group of preachers talk about their churches, it's not always, how do I say this? It's not always an encouraging word. So sometimes they talk about their churches as places that are literally sucking the life out of them. And I'm almost embarrassed to say them what I think about Tallowood. I don't say we're liberal. I do say we're loving. And I do say, this is the, this is the phrase I've coined, hyphenated phrase, life-giving. Tallowood has been a life-giving place for 17 years. In a couple of weeks, we will have been here. It has been a life-giving place every day we have been here. And we give thanks for the way that God has given us life through you. And this symbiotic relationship makes us want to give life to you in return. And uh, we had a consultant come in this week just to meet with executive staff and talk with us about our future and what we see on the horizon. And that consultant and I went to lunch and he said, I have never been to a place where the ministers were so happy to be there. Well, I hope that's true because we are happy. We are grateful for what God is doing among us. And all of that makes us want to give life to you because you have given life to us. Let me show you a life-giving church. A life-giving church roots its generosity in gratitude. So if you ask me, why do people give? I would say ultimately the most generous people I've known have been grateful people people who were just thankful for what they had. And so they were willing to give. And we see this in the life of the other church and we're tempted to think, well, things were just so good that of course they gave. But in fact, what we learn is things weren't so good. They were being persecuted um, by those in the city and they were under enormous pressure and stress. And I love Acts chapter five, verse 41, where it says, they just thanked God for the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. They were grateful for what God had done for them in Christ. Notice there in verse 32, it says the believers were one heart and soul. The believers were one. That is their characteristic is they had this trust in God, trust in the truth of the resurrection. Uh, Joel was preaching to us this morning. Every day is Easter. Every day is about the resurrection. We never tire of telling the story of Christ rising from the dead. And they believed that and that changed their lives in marvelous ways. Let me just show you the gospel in a nutshell. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to see what Paul teaches about giving chapters 8 and 9. But chapter 8 verse 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor that though he was rich, think about Jesus in heaven forever and ever, yet for your sake, he became poor. He came down to earth and died on the cross so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm not thinking bank account there. I'm thinking spiritually crazy rich in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And I love what Tim Keller said about this recently. He said, imagine if you were a billionaire. That may be hard for some of us to imagine. But just imagine if you were a billionaire and you walked out your door one morning and you had three $10 bills in your wallet. 
And you got out of the taxi cab because you're in New York. That's where Tim Keller is. That's how you get to work. And so he gets out and he owes $8 and he hands the taxi cab driver a $10 bill. $2 tip, 15% for those of you who do math. And so, wow, that's a pretty nice tip. And so here he goes and he goes into his workplace and, and discovers when uh, he gets in there, when it comes time for lunch, he only has one $10 bill in his wallet. He should have two. Did he give the taxi cab driver 20 bucks for an $8 fare? Are you kidding me? Did I do that? He's wondering, what did I? That's actually a 25% tip, isn't it? Sorry about that. Some of you are really doing that math. And so he goes, man, I don't want to give him like a 125% tip or whatever that would be. So does he call the taxi cab company and say, I don't know who it was, but I overpaid one of your taxi cab drivers. Is that what he does? No, he's a billionaire. He doesn't care. Now think about it this week when somebody criticized you, somebody said something unkind about you, or you invested in something and it didn't turn out so well or something you really wanted to happen didn't happen and you were kind of overwhelmed by that and Tim Keller says it's because you've forgotten your identity in Christ because if you knew what you really have in Jesus Christ, the fact that somebody somewhere said something about you would not blow you away. And if you find yourself always coming out swinging and you're always mad at people and you blame it on lack of self-control or lack of self-esteem, Keller says it's really deeper than that. You've forgotten who you are because spiritually you're a billionaire in Jesus Christ and you're worried about some nickel problem over here. And I, I don't know what the problem is. My problem is not a nickel problem. Let me just say to you, can I just say to you, compared to what you have in Jesus Christ, it's a nickel. It's a nickel because he's given you that much in Christ. And this is what you and I have to remember all the time. This, this sort of gratitude, which made them unafraid. They were unafraid. They were unafraid of the people who were persecuting them. They were unafraid of life because they had Christ in their lives. And that led to this deep unity where they were one, literally in the Greek, heart and soul. And they shared their souls together and they cared for each other's souls. And can I just say, I want to be in a church like that where we are one heart and soul, where we've got the kinds of deep friendship, where we share life together and we weep with those who weep. And we've been doing some of that this week. Uh, Victor Varner, Oren Braswell, both passed away last night. Heaven got a blessing with two coming in at the same time. And we'll miss those guys. And so we weep with those who weep, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And when I observe our culture, and even when I observe church, what I see sometimes is really lonely people. If you have not found a place where you can share your life and your burdens and your joys with a group of people, can I commend Tallowood to you and say, find it in a Bible study class, find it in a fellowship, find it in an organization, find it in a ministry. Check off one of those blocks that, that Pastor Eddie gave you there on that uh, brochure that he handed to you and somehow find a place where you can share life with others and receive life in a reciprocal life of blessing. This is what God wants. Uh, I, um, I have admired the basketball ability of Kobe Bryant through the years. And um, I read this week, I wasn't reading GQ magazine, though that's the source. You can look at me until I don't read GQ magazine. But anyway, so GQ magazine says that Kobe Bryant was asked, so do you have lots of friends? This was his answer. You know, I've been fortunate to play in Los Angeles where there are a lot of people like me, actors, musicians, businessmen, obsessives. Isn't that a good description? Because he is obsessed about basketball. People who feel like God put them on earth to do whatever it is that they do. 
Is that the way you feel about what you do? God put you on earth to do what you were doing like Eric Little when he ran, I feel the pleasure of God. Uh, I feel that when I preach, like this is what I was supposed to do. This is what he said. Now, do we have time? All of us who are so good at what he do, he's talking about. He says, do we have time to build great relationships? Do we have time to build great friendships? No. Do we have time to socialize and hang out aimlessly? No. Do we want to do that? No. We want to work. I enjoy working, said Kobe Bryant. So the interviewer said, so does it bother you that you don't have friends? And he said, yeah, so I'm not saying this is a strength of mine. It's actually a weakness, he said, because I grew up in Italy and I was the only person like me and I kept moving to new places and they had all grown up together. And even when I tried to make friends, I couldn't make friends. So I've just learned to be self Sufficient. Can I just tell you that may work in basketball, but it does not work in life. And it certainly doesn't work in the Christian life. And if you don't find community here and invest your life with a group of people here, then please find it somewhere because you're going to need it to make it through this life. There's this, they're unafraid, they're united. And listen to this, they are unselfish. So nobody says mine. Nobody says mine, mine, mine. Nobody says Mind. They're not obsessed with what they have. Why? Because they know what they have in Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. I've been memorizing this with uh, my prayer partner and running partner. Uh, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because the Lord has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Therefore, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? In other words, I've got Jesus and that's enough for me. And so it says, nobody said that what was theirs was theirs, but they were constant. I mean, they're not like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. No, 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 it's here. I want to share. I want to share my life with you. And uh, Scott McKnight has written a little book called A Fellowship of Different put an S on the end of it, Fellowship of Difference. Scott Maynard, a great New Testament scholar and theologian. And he says that one of the challenges in churches today is that people just kind of go to church with people just like them. It's called the homogeneous unit principle. We tend to gather and collect with people who are just like us. But can I just tell you in the city of Houston, that would be an abysmal strategy for a church to say, we're going to target just wealthy people or just uh, middle-class people or just highly educated people or just women or just men uh, or just one ethnic group or another or one nationality or another. No, we live in this amazingly diverse city and we can be a fellowship of difference. And when we find out what we have in community with each other, then we're going to want to share life with one another. So he tells in that book a little story about a girl who grew up in a Hutterite community in Manitoba, Canada. Hutterites, Anabaptist, radical wing of the Reformation. We have some descendants from that as well as Baptists and my family, the Church of the Brethren on my dad's side. Basically, if you think of Amish people, or the Shakers or the Quakers. Well, the Hutterites were part of that group. And this little girl grew up in that group and her, her name, um, Kirkby, her last name, Kirkby, Rosie Kirkby. Uh, she had an older sister named Anna and Rosie ended up in the hospital one day and she'd never been in the hospital and she had her ninth birthday while she was in the hospital and she'd never had a birthday cake because they didn't do that in the Hutterite community. They didn't give birthday cakes. So here's what she does. She receives her first birthday cake in her life on her ninth birthday. What does she do with it? Picture her putting on her robe and cutting little pieces of cake and walking down the hallway and in her broken English, she would walk into the door of the other hospital rooms and say, want some? Take some. Want some? Take some. 
This is the way the church in Jerusalem lived. You need something, I'll give it to you. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Don't miss this, by the way. The Levites, we've been studying in Joshua this week and I read the Bible through. They're not even supposed to own property. But when he finds out who he is in Christ, he fulfills the purpose of what he was always supposed to do. And he says, yeah, I don't need this anymore because I have Christ and there are people who need it. And so I'll put it at the apostles' feet and the submission of that and the trust and he gives it and it's a blessing to others. And this is what I know. If you ask me, why do people give? It's because of gratitude, because we're grateful for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so we spend our lives giving our lives away. Now, what results when that happens? What happens when you and I begin to be a church characterized by contagious generosity, when we continue that tradition of Talawit over the last 52 years and look toward the future and say, all the ministries that God wants us to do, we're gonna do out of a spirit of, of generosity. And the answer is, in a word, grace. So they proclaimed grace. Listen to what it says, with great power. See, now the apostles, they're not worried about money. They're not worried about whether people are being fed. Even when it comes to a conflict between uh, the Hebraic speaking widows and the Greek speaking widows, they go, hey, hey, we got to pray and we got to preach. That's what we do. So, so they, they establish the deacons and the deacons take care of the widows because they know they got to pray and they got to preach. Now, notice this, when they're not worried about money, then the apostles have this incredible power to proclaim what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because every day is Easter. Because that's, that's what they had. All they had. Look, they, they hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have PhDs. They didn't have, what did they have? The resurrection. Here's the good news. What did they need? The resurrection. And it, it, it turns out, if you ask me, so what does Talawood have to offer to the city of Houston? The resurrection. And nobody else can offer that except the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one who knows his way out of the grave and he's the one who came forth. And that's why I said last Sunday, and I just want to say it again, if you want to know the proof of the resurrection, look in the mirror. What Christ has done in you is enough to say to the world, there is hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And when we begin to realize that, then we begin to live grace and to preach grace and God's grace flows down. And the amazing thing is the more he gives grace, the more gratitude, it's like the rain. I mean, it's like, you know, the humidity builds up and then, and then the rain comes down and it's like our gratitude wells up to God. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 verse 11, we give thanks. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can, you can be generous on every occasion. What happens? And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So you're generous. We give thanks to God. God's more generous to you. You give more. We give more thanks. And that's this cycle. It's almost like precipitation. It's like, like we were singing, Joel. It's like breathing, you know? It's your breath in our lungs. Where did you get your breath, by the way, if you didn't get it from God? And that's his air you're breathing. So what are you going to do with it? You give it back to him. And what does he do? He gives you more air to breathe. And then you give him more praise. And he gives you more air. And that's the cycle of blessing. And notice, it's not a downward spiral. It's an upward spiral. It's not a vicious cycle. It's a victorious cycle as the people of God receive what God is doing. And they give it back to him in praise and worship again and again and again. And this is the calling of God upon the people of God as we worship him. It's why we worship. No, it's why why we live to be a life-giving church because we have received life from the life-giving God. And then there's this participation grace. It says, great grace fell on them all. See that there in verse 33? Great grace fell on them all. And then it says, there were no needy people among them. 
because people were giving and sharing. And look, there were needy people in Jerusalem. There were needy people in Jerusalem. There just weren't any in the church. You know, when I saw this in action recently, can I just tell you how much I love Dolores Cox and Terry Cox? And when Terry died and this church said, what can we do for Dolores? Because one thing we know is we love Dolores. And uh, one of our ladies, Lori Gentry, went to be with her this week. She's having a hard time. Just to be honest, she's having a hard time. Can you imagine losing your husband suddenly, inexplicably? Yeah, she's having a hard time. But she knows that her church loves her. And you all were gracious and generous with her and cared for her soul. Because look, we got doctors to care for your bodies. We got universities to care for your minds. But the only people, as far as I can tell, who are in the soul care business is us the church of Jesus Christ entrusted with that responsibility. And so we begin and there's this provision of grace. So everybody has what they need because God is working through his people. And it is a beautiful, amazing, wonderful gift from God. When you and I realize he has put us in this world to give life to other people. And I read an amazing story from uh, Northeast India uh, this week, the Mizoram people. I don't know if you ever heard of them. I never heard of them, but it's the Mizoram state. And uh, back in 1914, 101 years ago, they said, hey, every family, when you eat, take a handful of rice. The word is bafam thigh and take a bafam thigh, take a handful of rice, set it in a bag, accumulate it through the week, bring it to the church. The church will put it together and we'll use it. And the amount of all the rice that all the Christians accumulated in 1914 amounted to in one year, how much money in American dollars? A dollar fifty. Yeah, not a lot, but it did a lot of good. But last year, 100 years later, one and a half million dollars of giving from this one group of Christians. And how did they accumulate it? One handful of rice every day, one handful of rice, and they put it together. And God used it last year to support 1,800 missionaries, lots of other local ministries there, all with a handful of rice. Just as a reminder to us, Uh, As the the Mizzo people said, hey, we're not servants of God because we're wealthy or because we're poor, but because we're willing. And the Mizzo people, we've got a quote from them. They said, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give God every day. You too? Hey, you can be Mizzo. You can be Mississippi. You can be Missouri. You can be Texan, you can be whatever you want to be. But if God has been good to you, then the call of scripture is to be good. Look, Acts 10, 38 said Jesus went around and what did he do? He did good everywhere he went. Jesus did good. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Last week I told you uh, in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, you are God's masterpiece. Went up there to see Chase's art collection. I'm thinking, what's his masterpiece? What's the best piece of art he's done in four years? All this money I've paid to Washita so he could become a great artist. What's the, I'm not going to, I don't know. I don't know which one's his masterpiece, but I, I got to write in his little book and I said, you are Ephesians 2:10. You are God's masterpiece. And he has put you in this world to do good. God has been good to you. Now do good. Do good. I listened to Alistair Begg this week in Titus chapter three. He said, uh, he said, uh, read Titus chapter three. I always do what preachers tell me to do. So I read Titus chapter three and three times in verse one, in verse eight, in verse 14, Paul says to Titus, if you're going to teach the people, teach them to do good. And here's the thing. We don't do good so that we can get saved. We do good because we're saved. Because God's been good to us, we want to be good. We want to do good in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord blesses you, by all means, be a blessing. Let's pray. God, thank you for this privilege of worship. Thank you 
for visiting your church with grace. Thank you for generosity, Lord, that welled up in giving, that paid off a debt this week. And Lord, as soon as I say that, I realize we all owed a debt we couldn't pay. And you paid a debt you didn't know. And um, now, Lord, we want to give you our praise and our gratitude. And we want to give to others because you've been good to us, Lord. We want to do good. So, Lord, let us be your masterpiece in action this week, everywhere we go, because you have prepared for us to do good. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.